Peace be upon you. So I had another podcast lined up for this week, but I decided to uh, change things up. Uh, I recently heard a talk from Radhanath Swami. Uh, it was at a, a Google talk. It was online. And um, he was talking about conflict resolution. And uh, I really didn't have high expectations for the talk, but thought, hey, what the heck, I'll check it out. And when I listened to it, I was just taken back. So much of what he says is so chronic. And uh, it's a real uh, testament to the fact that anyone can be a submitter, irrespective of what they call themselves. So a little background on Radhanath. So Radhanath, he was uh, born in Chicago in the United States. And then at the age of 19, he started um, studying different religions. And eventually migrated over to India and got into Hare Krishna and um, has been a practitioner of the uh, the religion since and has done a number of really phenomenal things. One of the most notable is that he opened up a hospital in Mumbai uh, that treats, you know, a lot of the uh, the, the poor and the despondent. And um, his words in this talk are very profound. So God willing, going to uh, listen to the lecture and you can find the whole talk on uh, YouTube if you type in. Uh, Radhanath Swami and Google, uh, and it seems like he's given a talk just about every year uh, there. And um, and then inshallah, just kind of reflect on the, the verses in the Quran from some of the items that he talked about. So without further ado, here's his lecture. It's one of the most difficult things in this world today to cooperate. What is the core reason why? Why is there conflict between family members? Between people of the same company, of the same nation? Conflict between different nations? Conflicts with people within the same religion? What to speak of other religions? Practically the news every day, it's about conflict. It's about me and you, or us and them. And from a spiritual perspective, the core root of that conflict is a conflict within our own lives. A disharmony between the body and the mind. A disharmony with the mind with itself. And ultimately, a disconnection between the body and mind, the intelligence, and our true self, our hearts, our souls. So much of what we do is really disconnected from our own hearts, what to speak of our souls because we're so allured by external conceptions, misconceptions, and concerns, that we forget the larger picture, or let us say, the higher principles that really life is about. I knew a man who I just lived two blocks from when I was a little boy. And he was the wealthiest man in our neighborhood. And anyways, I kind of left home and 
when I was a teenager and went to Europe and then hitchhiked to India, and I never came back. But I met somebody, <laughs> my old friend Gary, and he told me what happened. This person, before he died, he gave his entire fortune to his two sons. And he told them how to spend it. One son bought a beautiful farm, gigantic property in Oregon, and got horses, pedigree horses, and got an airplane, and got a boat, <laughs> and really nice cars, and got married, and had children. And that was his father's money. And he invested it in a ways that it grew. The other son got involved with people who influenced them in a different way. And they convinced him, you can triple your money if you just join us. And he did. It was a narcotics arrangement. And he invested in that. First time. And he got caught. And it was obviously a large sum. To this day, he's been in prison for 35 years. So they took the same money and used it for a different purpose because of the influence of the people that was around them. So we're all very much affected by our environment. And we all have choices who we're going to associate with and who we're not going to associate with. And it's very important in our lives on every level that we keep focused on a higher principle. Because if we're not focused on that higher principle, there are going to be so many temptations and so many fears that are going to drag us down. Us and them. Spiritual platform, when we're actually connected to our source, to our soul, and I, we understand our relationship with the Supreme Source, or with God, then we see more in terms of we. The more we empower each other, the more we're empowered. That's a higher vision. The lower vision is, let me push other people down so I could go up. Not far from here is the Muir Woods. How many of you have been there? Please raise your hands. Well, I live in Mumbai, so for me it's really a distant place. <laughs> but every year I go there, and I take a walk with my dear friend and brother, Vaisheshika Prabhu. <clears throat> and we usually try to find a very secluded area where we could just walk and sit and talk among the redwood trees. One year, as we were walking, we came upon a large group of tourists. And they were talking a lot, so we wanted to just walk by them really fast. But as we were walking by, we heard the forest ranger, who was in the middle of that circle, he said something that really attracted my mind. He said, I am going to tell you the underground secret of the Redwood Forest. Now, I was 
a teenager in the 1960s. And many of you were there, and many of you heard about that era of American history, and we were really attracted to underground secrets. <laughs> so I said, let's listen. And he told a story. He said, these trees are the biggest, tallest trees on earth, the sequoia and redwoods. Usually for a tree to grow and sustain some hundreds of years old, some of them are over a thousand years old. They have to have really deep roots. And there's really no trees in the world that have deep enough roots to support what a redwood is. The redwood trees don't have deep roots. And they're on hilly terrain, which makes them very vulnerable. And it's loose soil. And in this area, there have been devastating earthquakes over the thousand years that they've been standing. There have been massive blizzards, windstorms. How do they keep growing? And then he revealed the underground secret. The roots of the redwood tree underground, they grow outward. Why? They're specifically growing, searching for the roots of other trees. And as soon as two roots meet, they embrace. They wrap around each other, forming a permanent connection. They support each other. Practically every root is connected to a root of another tree all around them. And in this way, every tree in the entire forest is directly or indirectly connected, supporting every other tree. The unity is their strength. And even little tiny redwoods that are just coming out of the ground are very, very vulnerable. But the roots of the giant ancient trees come and let them wrap around them and give them their full support. So in this world, we are subjected to many storms. Sometimes nice sunny days also. And there are earthquakes in our lives, individually, collectively, on many levels. There's that famous saying, united we stand, <coughs> divided we fall. This is a beautiful lesson of nature. Any of our strength cannot compare to unified strength. Our own human body. We have so many organs within the body. Each organ is a different shape different color and performs a completely different function. The lungs cannot do what the heart does. The brain cannot do what the kidneys do. The kidneys cannot do what the knees do. The pancreas cannot do what the gallbladder does. So they all have a very, very special function. And the stomach the stomach is actually supplying food to every other part of the body. 
What if the stomach were to say, you're all depending on me. It's about me. I'm going to keep this food for myself. Right? I'm getting all these nutrients and I'm getting all this food and everybody wants it and everybody needs it, but it's mine. And you're depending on me. And I'm going to keep it for myself. What happens to the stomach? And what happens to all the other parts of the body? You see, a healthy human body is when every part of the body honors, respects, and appreciates every other part. And we recognize, however big or ever small, whatever color or whatever shape, whatever function, we're all part of a whole. A healthy body, every part is serving the whole. And in serving the whole, they're serving every other part. The health of a stomach is it serves every part of the body. The heart doesn't want to keep the blood for itself. The health of the heart is it's supplying blood to every part of the body. The health of the eye is not just to try to see. It's to give direction to every part of the body. And when any part of the body is not in harmony with every other part, it's disease. It suffers and everything else suffers. The same principle as the redwood trees. Seva, or service, is the higher principle. But the ego, which in Sanskrit is ahankar, is always trying to deceive us into thinking it's about me, even at the expense of others. And what is depression and, and, and anxiety and un- incredible um, suffering from stress and all of these things? It's, it's actually the core of those problems on the level of the ego. because we're expecting so much and we're just not getting it. But if we do get it, then the nature of the ego is to become arrogant and condescending toward those who don't get as much. That ego is the root disease of so many of the problems in this world individually and collectively. But it's so powerful. How can we actually li- be liberated from that? The beginning is to recognize <laughs> that our real unity and our real prosperity is based on uniting in a higher principle. And it begins when we ourselves individually take the responsibility to live according to those higher principles. In my own life, when I was eight years old, my mother told me that she was, she said, everyone loves your father and everyone loves me, but we don't love each other anymore. We're going to separate. 
about for an eight-year-old boy, and I never heard of divorces in those days. It was just so confusing to me. My mother and father don't like each other, and they're going to and, and they're going to go different directions. I felt so disoriented. I felt so bewildered. I felt such pain in my heart. I couldn't say a word. I just sat there and cried. And my mother looked at me and didn't expect that reaction. And then I jumped up and I ran out the door of her bedroom and I ran down the stairs of our little house and I ran out the front door and I ran down my driveway and I ran across the street and I ran across the block and I went to a little forest. And she couldn't find me. When my father drove, came home driving in his car, at that time when I was eight, my father was the largest car dealer of a car called the Edsel in all of Chicagoland. And he didn't sell any of them. <laughs> it was one of the biggest disasters in automobile history. He went bankrupt. So he was struggling. When he came home, I listened with my ear at the door of their bedroom to hear what they were going to speak. My mother told my father how I reacted to what they had already decided. There was complete silence. And then I heard them both say, for the sake of our children, we are going to make this work. It wasn't easy for them. They had serious disagreements. But somehow or other, they found a higher principle. And they worked through those things that were impeding them from embracing that higher principle. And incredibly, in a few years, I had never seen any two people love each other as much as them. They were completely like one heart and two bodies. They really appreciated, they really supported. When my mother passed away, they were married 58 years. Real love is not just a romantic attraction that comes and goes. Real love is not just a compatibility that whatever I think is what you think and whatever you think is what I think and I expect this of you and you expect this of me and if you don't reach my expectations then there's something wrong with you. Real love is based on a serious commitment of responsibility to a higher principle. And then it's not just a sensual mental thing, it really comes from the heart. They were completely together on a higher principle. And I was just a little eight-year-old boy, and I was watching all this. And you watch things that affect you. You know, things that are very theoretical, you see it and you forget it. But when something comes to your life when it's somewhat traumatic, you really learn from it. That's just the way human nature sometimes is. 
What was that principle? It was like a foundation to my own spiritual life. I want to find that higher principle. Because as I grew up, I was working with people who were of African-American descent while in high school, and I saw how much they were discriminated against. They didn't have a chance to really succeed in the United States of America in the 1950s and 60s. Probably 95% really didn't have that chance. Constitutionally, they did. But socially, no. So that same principle I learned from my parents' example, that there is a higher principle. I joined the Civil Rights Movement. And I joined the counterculture. Because, you know, the Vietnam War just didn't make sense. It didn't seem like a war based on real ideals or values. It seemed like a war that was just due to the lack of communication between the two countries. That's the way it seemed to all of us. <laughs> it, was, it was either based on business or lack of communication. Is there really a purpose? We didn't understand if there was. So there were so many conflicts. And that's when I heard Gandhi say, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And I understood if I want to actually be a part of the solution rather than part of the problem, I have to change myself. And in my own life, it put me on a spiritual journey to really find harmony with myself. <laughs> the principle of yoga, or for that matter, according to the, the literal definition, religion also, is to reunite, to bind back, to create harmony between our, our, our actions and our words with our hearts, with our souls, to harmonize the body, the mind, with the living force. And what is that living force? In the Bible it is said, what profiteth a person if they gain the whole world but they lose their immortal soul? That's a universal principle. In the Bhagavad Gita there's a very, very profound definition of that soul. Najayate mriyate vakadachit. The soul is never born. It never dies. The soul by nature is eternal, full of knowledge, and full of joy. And what is that joy? It's the joy of love. To love and to be loved. And true love, Savai Pung Sangparo Dharmo Yeto Bhakti True love is ahoitiki apratihata. It's it's not selfish. It's not arrogant. 
It's based on true care. And when you water the root of the tree, naturally that water extends to every part of the tree, the leaves, the flowers, and the twigs. So when we harmonize our actions and our words, our bodies and our minds, with our own true self, the soul, then naturally from that point we harmonize the soul with the Supreme Soul or with God. And when we harmonize ourselves with the Supreme Source, then like watering the root of the tree, we're harmonized with everything and everyone. There's a lot of environmental problems in the world today. And some people who've really studied it carefully say it's a severe crisis. But it's not an environmental crisis. It's a crisis in human spirit. When we're disconnected from ourselves, when we're disconnected from God, what happens? We become disconnected with other people. And we start seeing the differences and because of arrogance, we're full of fear, we're full of ex- with a desire to exploit, we have an, an obsessive need to feel ourselves superior to others. Why? That obsessive need to feel I am better than other people is because inside we're hollow. We're shallow. We're in poverty. When I met Mother Teresa in 1971, she told that to me. That the biggest problem in the world is hunger. Not of the belly. Give some food, you can help that. The heart. She said, in my travels, whether I'm with the richest people in London or New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, or whether I'm with poor little villagers, people have a hunger of the heart. There's only one thing that could satisfy the hunger of the heart, to love and to be loved. And when we're disconnected from that love, we're hungry. And then we have so much, we need so much um, intoxication, we need so much sex life, we need so much various forms of entertainment, we need so much ways of just forgetting (laughs) that hollowness that's within our heart. But when we actually discover who we are and what we really have, and we understand through our, through our business, through our occupation, through our relationships, we're not trying to grab something to fill the void. We have so much pleasure within. Our greatest joy is to share it. To share it through our wealth. To share it through our intelligence. To share it through whatever influence we have in this world. To share it with our loved ones. And ultimately we see all beings as our loved ones. And we recognize that we have a harmonious connection with the environment as well. If we're connected to ourselves, then we won't, we won't be thinking in terms of greed 
exploiting the environment means endangering every living being on this planet in a small way or a big way. For me, that's not something that a thoughtful, connected person wants. Because if we care about others, we care about the environment. We care about them. Whether, they're, whether a person is black or white or red or yellow or brown or whether a person is rich or poor or Eastern or Western or from one religion or another religion or whether one is an elephant or a cow or a dog or a cat, wherever there's life, there's a sacred part of God. And we're, when we're connected to our own self, we, are, we feel the connection of every living being. The Gita tells Vidyavanaya Sampane Brahmani Gavihastini Suni Chaiva Svapakicha Pandita Samadarshana. This means that true wisdom, true knowledge, is not just about how much data we store in our brain. It's about being able to see every living being according to our inner spiritual connection with them, and therefore seeing life as sacred and seeing the equality like the different parts of the body seeing themselves in relation to the whole body not seeing themselves separated from that and the Bible tells the same thing it's the first and great commandment to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And what is the natural consequence of such love? That you love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone's our neighbor. The trees, the air, (laughs) all the different kinds of people and animals, everyone is our neighbor. That disconnect is what makes us instruments of conflict ourselves and so vulnerable to falling into the influence of the conflicts that's all over the place and just getting swept up, sucked in, and just being a part of it. When it is said, stand out from among men and be separate, it doesn't just mean becoming a monk and leaving society. It also means living right within society, but being in the world, but not of the world. In other words, with that strong connection, with that foundation, with our roots, actually connected to ourself and connected to each other, we learn that there is no greater joy in life than to live with integrity and compassion. That, to a cultured person, Integrity and compassion is wealth. The numbers in a bank account, the amount of property that are in our name, the amount of nations that we conquer, that's not wealth. Because it doesn't bring any happiness to the heart. Things, things could give some pleasure to the body and mind, but cannot touch the heart. 
Only love can touch the heart. It is said that we should love people and use things to express our love. Where does conflict come in? When we love things and use people to get them and keep them. And things means prestige. Things means power. Things means wealth of all these different gross and subtle material forms. But what children need to need to understand is real wealth is in our integrity and our compassion. Because those are principles that are based on love. Higher principles. And when we make that connection ourselves, and when like-minded people who are striving for that embrace their roots with each other (laughs) through our affections, then wonderful things can happen in this world. No one should ever think that I'm too small to make a huge difference in the world. Because the energy of even one good deed affects the entire planet beyond what we can perceive. There's a saying, you can tell how rich you are by counting how many things you have that money cannot buy. Now that doesn't mean money's bad. Money's really good if good people have it. (laughs) But money's really bad if bad people have it. Similarly, power and fame. If it's used with compassion and integrity, it can bring so much benefit to ourselves and to others. And that's where real joy is. In our tradition, we chant God's names and we offer our prayers in this way to be an instrument of grace in whatever we do. I know one person in Mumbai. He and his family were among the largest industrialist business families in India. And because of change of policies, because the government sometimes changes policies that devastate entire industries, trading policies, taxing policies, labor policies, that practically all the people on his level completely shut down. And so many of them were committing suicide or, or depressed. <laughs> and he was coming to our ashram every day and smiling and dancing and singing. <laughs> and while he was struggling like anything to work everything out, all the lawsuits and all the, 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 the tax issues and all of the you know, liquidations that are necessary, I mean... It was incredible, and it was practically all on his shoulders. It was a huge international corporation. He was trying to save so much pressure. But while he was doing it, and everything was a risk, 
He was helping feed thousands and thousands of people in the ghettos. He was helping widows and supporting them for their whole lives. He was helping the monks and somehow or other empowering them so that they could go out and actually spread beautiful spiritual knowledge to the world. And I didn't know he was doing any of it. One day, our accountant, he came and said, you know, you don't know and nobody knows all the wonderful things he's doing to so many people because he doesn't want to get any credit for it. And he gave me a list of how many thousands and thousands of people he was actually sustaining their lives and infusing them with so much spiritual inspiration as well. And he made it through. And his companies, you know, they, they were changed, but now they're very strong. So what does it mean to be detached? It doesn't mean to just walk away from things. I asked him, how do you remain so sweet and so kind and so charitable even when you're struggling more than practically anybody else could imagine? In the world of politics and business and everything and labor. He said, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful that I have God's names and I'm so grateful that I have so many people who encourage me and, and inspire me. He's totally humble. If you're grateful, you're humble. You can't be grateful and arrogant. They're, they're contradictory. If you're arrogant, you can't really be grateful for what you have. You think you deserve it. And when you think you deserve it, you're not really grateful for it. But people who, really, who have really worked and achieved, if they have this higher conscious, they're grateful. Because they know, just like when the stomach provides really good nutrients to the rest of the body, the stomach isn't saying, you should surrender to me, to every part of the body. The stomach understands, if, unless without all of you, I can't do anything. And ultimately, without the grace of God, what can we do? So conflict resolution really has its deepest and most sustainable um, expression when, indi when individually and collectively we help each other to really connect and give some time every day to make that inner connection through the people we're with through our spiritual practices and through the integrity and character in which we live these are some of my thoughts Thank you very much.